This is In-House Insiders, a podcast from the Association of Corporate Counsel, where you'll hear from the most interesting in-house legal professionals in Australia. On the show, we'll explore their stories, the challenges they've faced along the way, and the lessons they've learned that have defined their careers. I'm your host, May Ramsey, and I'm the Group Executive Legal Governance and Regulatory Affairs at Medibank. Today, I'm speaking to Aditi Kogekar, the former Deputy General Counsel at iCare and the current Chief Legal Counsel at WWF Australia. Aditi was a key figure in iCare's response to the recent independent review that the organisation was subject to. In the wake of this, she won Government Lawyer of the Year at ACC's Corporate Lawyer of the Year Awards. In today's episode, you'll hear what it was like responding to the government review. She'll share some of the challenges she faced and the lessons she learned. And we'll discuss what it meant to receive the Government Lawyer of the Year Award after such a tumultuous period. Let's get into it. Welcome, Aditi, to the show. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I thought we'd start at the beginning and learn a little bit about how you got started in your career. Sure. Well, my very first legal job was my clerkship at Coors Chambers Westgarth. And it really was something that I thought very deeply about at the time because I had never before that point seen myself as a commercial lawyer. I did law like an idealistic, naive, young 18-year-old to help people and hadn't fully thought out what that might look like even at that stage at 40 uni. So kind of got caught up in the whole clerkship process, spoke to a few people that I knew who were lawyers, not working in commercial law, and they kind of advised me, have a crack. It's great to get two or three years of commercial law experience under your belt. And so I had a crack and was lucky enough to get the clerkship and then a graduate position at Cause. I ended up staying at Cause for a lot longer than two or three years stayed there for almost 10 years after I started my summer clerkship, spent some time in the workplace relations team at the start before moving to litigation. And I guess there my practice started to focus more and more on sensitive disputes where there was a strong element of reputational, political and or moral risk. So that was, you know, litigation involving government, commissions of inquiry, including the Child Sex Abuse Royal Commission and other disputes that were sensitive in nature, so broad, that sort of thing. And then, as I said, almost 10 years after I started my summer clerkship at Cause, I moved into my first in-house role, which was at Insurance and Care New South Wales, or it's better known as iCare. iCare is a New South Wales government agency that operates the state's insurance and care schemes. So by that, I mean workers' compensation for public and private sector, lifetime schemes for people who are catastrophically injured on the road or have dust diseases. And it's also the insurer of all New South Wales government assets. So everything from the Opera House to the Harbour Bridge to the state's hospitals and schools. Looking back, it was quite a leap of faith. I didn't really know a lot about eye care when I joined. In fact, it had only been established a couple of months before I interviewed there, but I knew two things at that point. One was that 
the path to law firm partnership probably wasn't right for me. And the second thing was that I wanted to work at a purpose-driven organisation where I could contribute meaningly from the inside rather than outside the organisation. So the opportunity to do a kind of broad-based in-house legal role in a government organisation that was ultimately set up to help injured and vulnerable people really appealed to me. I was at iCare then for six and a half years. At the start, we described it as being a startup because it was a new agency, but that probably wasn't an accurate description because iCare had several predecessor organisations, including probably the most well-known one is WorkCover New South Wales. So even though you're in a new organisation, you've got a mountain of BAU work to keep going with on day one. But those early years were about getting across all the schemes that I care around, the legislation that underpinned them, and then trying to help the business to pursue this transformation and innovation agenda within the letter framework that was set up. As time went on at iCare, though, it came under more and more regulatory, political and media scrutiny. And that culminated in 2020 with the government announcing a, what they described was as an independent root and branch review into the organisation conducted by a former New South Wales Supreme Court judge in terms of scope and impact for ICARE was the equivalent of the Banking Royal Commission. So while the first half of my time at ICARE was kind of doing that very broad generalist in-house role, the second part was my litigation background definitely came to the fore. And I led a team that provided our response to that independent review. And even past the independent review, my focus was much more on major regulatory actions, investigations and policy and legislative reform. What an amazing, different experience and you've had since you first took that clerkship at CAUSE. Maybe taking you back to that time when you did transition from working in a commercial law firm to working in-house, what was it like? Because they're obviously very different environments. On many levels, it was a bit of a shock to the system. I think I remember on my first day at iCare being like, oh, where's the document management system? You know, these all these things that in private practice you're taught from day one, like, this is your document management system. This is how you say, this is where precedents are. These are all these things here. It's just like, oh, we've got a shared drive and there's some stuff on the shared drive and probably save your documents to the shared drive. But, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. And it was a little bit confronting, but also really refreshing going from an environment that's very structured and very hierarchical and moving to somewhere where on every level, even where you save your documents, you have more freedom. And that was, like I said, a bit confronting, but also refreshing. The other thing that really struck me was that with all these role titles that you've never heard of before, you don't exactly understand what they do. All of a sudden, they're contacting you directly and asking you for legal advice. And you not only have to figure out who they are, where they fit, what they're doing, what the question they're asking you is, but then you also have to do an exercise on top of that, which is, is this actually a legal question? Am I right, the right person to be answering this? Should I be answering it? If it's not a legal question, should I still be working with them to try and come up with a solution that solves the problem? So 
that was probably the thing as I settled into the in-house role. The thing that I realised was the most challenging about working in-house is not necessarily the technical legal questions you've been asked, but how you're managing so many different stakeholders coming to you for advice and stakeholders who aren't lawyers, who are asking you to kind of help them construct the question that needs to be asked help them figure out what parts of it are legal and what parts aren't and help them find solutions that may have a bit of an legal element but may also have a commercial or other imperative. I found that a big change from the private practice environment where you usually only deal with one or two people at your client and they're usually lawyers and so they've done that exercise in the background without you even realising it's happening and they've come up to you with a set of very clear legal questions for you to answer. I think you've summarised it very nicely there around the difference between, as you say, private practice and working in-house. So you touched on the fact that after you joined iCare sometime after that, that there was a rather tumultuous period and effectively iCare had its own royal commission. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you faced during that independent review? Definitely. I mean, there were a lot of challenges. The first challenge for me personally, I guess, and the legal team was that legal wasn't necessarily thought of as needing to play a role in that process. Initially, a decision was made that the comms team would kind of lead the process. The first challenge was putting my hand up and saying, you know what, I actually really want to be involved in this. We've got a lot of great lawyers in our team who have a lot of experience and we really think that we'll be able to add value and we're really committed to helping iCare take accountability for what it needs to take accountability for, but also helping to push back where some criticism has been made that isn't necessarily warranted or fair or there is a broader context to take into regard. So That was the first challenge, kind of stepping outside my comfort zone and really advocating for legal to have a role. And luckily for us, they listened and gave us a role and allowed us to lead that process. Unluckily, it was a lot of work, as you can imagine, and we did it all in-house, so it was a big effort. But thanks to just such a great team that we had, we were really able to demonstrate our value quickly. And in the end, the business ended up giving us budget to get secondees from external firms to help us with the intensity of the workload in a very highly deadline-driven period of time. So that was the first challenge, but that was a good one and it went well for us. The other challenge was just dealing with that level of scrutiny. So in the lead up to that review being announced. iCare had a Four Corners program on it, a 7.30 report segment on it. We had about two weeks where there was an article about iCare on the front page of the SMH. There was a lot of focus on iCare and people within the organisation were stressed and panicked, fair enough, and for many different reasons. You've got people who are worried about the organisation and the bigger picture. Then you've just got everyone else who's just all of a sudden people are asking them, oh, you work for iCare, what's that like? Or they've got an opinion about where you work. 
are they coming to work with a sense of pride or are they coming to work feeling, is this the organisation I thought I was working for? Why is everybody talking about us all of a sudden? So dealing with that scrutiny was quite challenging. I think I probably split it up into two types of challenges. The first was kind of how we could educate the business and work with them to make them understand the parameters, how the review would work, what our options were, what sort of tone we should take in our response, what sort of things we should push back on or accept accountability for. That was one set of challenges and that was where you had to lean into the relationships that you developed over time, stay calm and point them to other examples of where organisations had been in that situation and the approach that they had taken. The second set of challenges was really about the people and keeping the team motivated, keeping them informed about what was going on, making them feel like they were doing good work, that they should feel proud, that this is what we're working towards, maintaining transparency about what's happening, answering questions, and then also at the same time as that, trying to show people that although there is a whole lot of different work now that a lot of people are doing to respond to this sort of scrutiny, that doesn't mean that the BAU work is any less important. And in fact, it's the BAU work that we need to get right to make sure that we don't keep getting hit with this level of intense scrutiny. So that was a real challenge and that all happened during COVID. And so you've got everybody working at home and that was a difficult time for everybody. But to maintain the motivation and the connection to the work and to the purpose and to our customers and all of that and create psychological safety for everybody was a real challenge. Yes, I hadn't really clicked to that, that it was, as you said, all through COVID as well. So that just would have added another enormous layer of both stress and complexity. But it sounds as though you really rose to those multiple challenges and had a very clear vision for how you wanted to deal with those and address them and continue to guide the organisation through that quite intense period. What's the biggest lesson you learnt during that time? That is a good question. The biggest thing I've taken away from it is to back yourself. I don't think a lot of people that I know professionally and personally would describe me as the most confident lawyer out there. But at that time, I just knew that the combination of my skill set, the combination of the wonderful lawyers we had in our team, and the corporate knowledge that we'd gained from working at iCare from the start meant that we would be able to give it a really good crack. I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I knew that I would get a lot out of it. So I think now if I reflect back, the biggest thing that I've taken from that experience is that backing yourself is worth it. It can expose you to experiences that you wouldn't have otherwise had. And the other thing that it's helped me to understand is that is appreciating the right time to move on to the next thing. And that's what happened to me. So I've went through that very intense time at iCare. I'm really proud of the work that our team did. 
I'm really proud of what the broader organisation did. We went through several rounds of change. So in the six and a half years that I was at iCare, we had four CEOs, we had four general counsels, each of whom I reported to. And I got to a point earlier this year and I was like, this is the right time for me to move on to the next challenge in my career and I can back myself to go and face that challenge and figure out what it is. It really takes great courage and great wisdom to know, you know, when is the right time to make that change. I'm interested to understand, particularly during that very intensive period of the independent review, and you talked about how obviously it was an enormous amount of work, you were prepared for it, but you still have to get through it. Did you have any practices or techniques that you used to sort of manage whether it was your own well-being or your team's well-being as you were going through this, what would have been very, very challenging for all of you, both personally, but also for the organisation? I would probably say that one of my, another learning that's come out of the whole thing is probably to be more focused on well-being. if I'm perfectly honest with you. I think during that time, that was probably something that I did let slip a little bit. Not only were we going through a very intense period work-wise, also it was the middle of COVID, so that brought its own challenges. And on top of that, I had two very small children at home. So I just returned from my second round of maternity leave in May 2020. It kind of all hit at once, but something that I tried to do a lot and I found that all of us in the team really benefited from was the constant check-ins with your team. Even if it's 10 minutes every morning, getting together, talking to each other, giving each other the freedom to vent if they need to, letting people know that you've got their back, understanding if somebody doesn't seem to be in a good space, headspace, that person's well-being is more important than anything else, telling that person, just log off, just log off for the day, give yourself some time. It's not the end of the world. I think that really got us through little things like having Teams chats and just chatting to each other throughout the day. And just keeping up that connection, especially during COVID, was the best thing that we could do for our well-being during that time. In hindsight, I think I probably would have probably thought more about well-being up front and devised some sort of a plan and got the team involved and talked about how we would do that together. So that's definitely a learning. But I do really think the connection helped get us all through it. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes when you do start some of these more challenging periods of your career, at the beginning, you might not even know that it's going to be challenging. And who would have predicted COVID and all the impacts of that on top of everything else? But I have to say, you're a pretty amazing person because in addition, having two young children and managing all of that, it is phenomenal. And you are therefore a very worthy recipient of the Government Lawyer of the Year Award, which you actually won in 2021. And I can understand any one of those elements that we talked about, but you would have been deserving, but to have managed through the whole COVID period, this intensive independent inquiry, keeping your team focused, supporting the business through this would have been for probably a lot of people in the organisation, the most challenging experience they'd had as I said, very well deserving. So congratulations on that. 
what did the award mean to you? I'd never been involved in any of these awards programs or anything like that before. And I remember one day saw like a reminder email come in about it. And I thought to myself, if I was ever going to put myself out there for award, it would probably be now because I think this experience that I've had is like a once in a career type thing. Like it doesn't happen often, but I just let it go. I didn't think about it. And then a few days later, a colleague of mine called me and he said, I've been wanting to nominate you for this award, but I think I need your help to put together the nomination. Would you be happy to do it? And I was like, oh, it's really not me. But then I thought, you know what, just go for it. Because of that, it really did mean a lot to me because it had been a huge year and the recognition of getting the award, it really meant something to me because I I knew it was something that I'd probably never get an opportunity to do again. And getting that award at the end of it made it feel real, like you did it. And it actually was like a huge thing was a huge, huge honour and I'm very grateful to the ACC and to the judges for giving me that award. And as I said, I think immensely well-deserved because many in-house counsel, both through the corporate world and in government, I mean, do cover amazing transactions, projects that they work on. And so to be the actual award winner for the year is an amazing feat. So congratulations again. So obviously you won that award as when you were working as a government lawyer and there are some unique challenges that government lawyers face compared to other in-house counsels. I'd be interested to hear your take on that. What are some of those unique challenges? I think a lot of people have this perception that government and being a lawyer within government, it's very slow, it's very bureaucratic, those sorts of things. And I would say that my experience was anything but. I found the job of being a government lawyer, it's incredibly fast paced, incredibly deadline driven, like the number of times you're getting 24 hour turnarounds from ministers or other government agencies or regulators or whatever it may be, incredibly fast paced, incredibly interesting because you're balancing, I mean, the role of government really is to solve wicked problems. These problems get given to government because they affect so many different people in the community, across the community, and they're really tricky to get right. And I guess an example for us at iCare was the workers' compensation system. So that's a system that had undergone more than 40 years of reform by governments on both sides of the political divide trying to get it right. It's came into government probably about 40 years ago after being run by the private sector and the private sector wasn't getting it right. You've got a system where you're trying to balance the interests of injured workers, employers, you're trying to maintain financial sustainability of the scheme. And then you've got a whole array of other interested stakeholders because you are government as well. So you've got ministers, you've got opposition, you've got other government agencies, you've got the general community at large, then you've got all these extra bodies that are kind of looking at what you're doing as well, like ICAC. You've got layers of law, then regulation, then government convention, policy, things that may not necessarily be black or white, but there are all of these other 
requirements and frameworks that you need to be cognizant of. And I just found that trying to navigate through all those different stakeholder interests to try and achieve the purpose that you're set up to achieve, but do it in a way that finds solutions that suit everybody to be incredibly challenging, but also incredibly interesting and incredibly worthwhile. And I actually, probably because I am a litigation lawyer by background, like I really enjoyed thinking about all the different types of risks and the scrutiny on things that in another sector might not be looked at in the same way. So I think you look at the John Barillaro issue or the Christine Holgate situation, these things in the private sector, nobody would bat an eye. But in government, all of a sudden, everybody's watching, there are multiple different inquiries and reviews set up to look into them. And I just found that whole environment very dynamic, interesting, challenging, and ultimately very rewarding when you feel like you're actually making progress and helping the business find solutions that are properly taking into account the myriad of different stakeholders' interests and hopefully influencing some positive change. The complexity sounds mind-boggling when you listed all of those different stakeholders and interests that would be, I can see how you'd be find that so interesting and engaging as well as challenging at the same time. Are there any other unique benefits or opportunities that lawyers can expect working in a government role? Something that I really appreciated at iCare right from day one and definitely became more and more palpable as we went through all the scrutiny was that the people who work in government are all there because they want to make a difference. They want to do something for the social good. They want to make a positive impact. And at all times at iCare, I genuinely felt that people were on the same page about that. They might have disagreements about how to get there. They might have disagreements about what is more important, which stakeholders' interest is more important than another's. But ultimately, working with a whole lot of people who are driven by the same goal, and that goal is to help people or to do some social good, I found very motivating and comforting, actually in many ways. And that in turn means that you're working with a whole lot of people who are very dedicated and very hardworking. So that's probably something I didn't expect about government. And perhaps that sounds naive, but I think I really felt that at iCare, you get a holistic understanding of risk and all the different elements of risk. And there's not just legal risk there's not just commercial risk, although those things are very important and those things are probably two of the things you're asked to advise on the most, but it's reputational risk. There's always a political imperative. We might think that this is the best thing to do for the business, but when somebody goes and talks to the minister's office about it, how is this going to play into the broader political world? The moral and social risk, I found that part of it to be really exciting and it makes you think in a different way. And I think you look at the world in a different way once you've kind of experienced that. And the other thing, I guess, is just getting a deeper understanding as to how 
laws are made, how legislation works, all the different people who influence those sorts of decisions. When you're in a government agency or government business like I care, you don't write the laws, but you have to do your best, do your job within those laws, and then maybe try to influence them as much as you can. And learning a lot about that process, I think, is just beneficial as a member of the community. Aptly outlined earlier, another part of that complexity as well. That's amazing. Do you have any advice for lawyers who currently are working in government? Anything that you'd like to share from your experience? I worked in a particular part of government at a particular time that was particularly intense. But I do tend to think that a lot of parts of government can be a little bit chaotic just because you just have that much going on. And as a lawyer, trying to balance all the different legal issues and legal frameworks that you need to be across. But what I would say is that that kind of chaos and change might feel difficult and frustrating while you're in it. But I genuinely believe that moments of change, chaos, crisis bring opportunity. And I experienced that myself. What I would say to government lawyers is try to embrace it as much as you can because it's fertile ground for learning something new, learning something new in a work sense, but also learning something about yourself and you learn exponentially in those crazy moments. So that's probably what I would say. I think it's great advice. People often say, why waste a good crisis? There's so much you can learn from that as well, as you said. Now, I'm going to change pace a bit here and move to our quick fire round. And this is where I ask you some uh, questions. Just tell me the first thing that comes into your head. They're random things. There's no right or wrong. So the first is, if you met your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give them? To be honest, I don't think I'd give them any advice. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've done a lot of things differently. But ultimately, it's got me where I am. And I'm not perfect, but I don't think I, I would change anything. That's a wonderful place to be. I love that answer. What's the one skill you've really had to develop through your in-house role? Stakeholder management, most definitely. Yes, and I think you touched on that when you were talking about the transition and just even getting to know your stakeholders and who's who. Very true. Where do you go to upskill? I'd say my colleagues, past and present. Yes. You don't think about it sometimes, how you've got so many wonderful connections to people who know so much. So it's very true. Who's someone you really admire? I think I would say my mum and dad. They came to Australia with not very much and they both built successful careers and had a family without any family support. It's something, considering how much I rely on them now <laughs> to provide my family with support, I just think that's pretty amazing and inspiring. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And we'll make sure that they listen to this and they can hear that directly from you. <laughs> What's one item on your bucket list? I have been to Africa on safari, but I think on my bucket list would be taking my kids to have that experience. Oh, lucky things. That's something to look forward to. What's your favourite hobby? Oh, I have to admit, since becoming a mum, I don't really have that many hobbies anymore, sadly. But one thing that I have been getting into the last few years is photography. Oh, great. And you've got some perfect subjects to practice on. What are you reading at the moment, if you have time to read? 
Well, I actually am reading, I'm reading Less by Andrew Sean Greer. I think it won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in like 2018 or 17. And that gives you an indication. I, I have a lot of books on my Kindle that I bought many years ago that I didn't get a chance to read, but now I'm slowly going back. Well, that's great. And that's the beauty of the Kindle. You can have as many as you like there and they'll always be there ready when you're ready. Finally, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Make or have a coffee. Very wise. Good way to start the day. <laughs> well, thank you, Aditi. It's been wonderful to get to know you a bit better, to understand your career journey. And even though it sounds maybe from the outside or if you look at it so disparate, it's amazing the way the threads actually all came together. And as you were saying, during that really intensive period at ICAD, just all of that work and experience that you'd had at CAUSE building up to that has came to the fore. So I think that's also another wonderful lesson for all of us that no experience is wasted. There will be opportunities and times to use it. But thank you for sharing your insights and advice. We really appreciate it and best of luck. And thanks again. Thank you so much, May. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to In-House Insiders, a podcast about the stories, challenges and lessons learnt by Australia's top in-house legal professionals. In-House Insiders is produced by the Association of Corporate Counsel. ACC's purpose is to support the professional and business interests of in-house counsel through information, education, networking and advocacy initiatives. I've personally been an ACC member for 15 years and I continue to remain a member for the fantastic peer networking opportunities I get and the access to tailored CPDs that cater for every stage of an in-house lawyer's career. If you're not a member already, you can join me and over 45,000 other in-house counsel from around the world. For more information about ACC or to join, please visit the website acc.com. This has been In-House Insiders. I'm May Ramsey and I'll speak to you next time.